If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Will Weber is on the board. Willers getting booking the guests. In the newsroom, Dave Woodard. Here's Scott Thompson. Yeah, baby. James Brown, number 44 on Rolling Stones. Top 200 singers of all time. There you go. An assortment coming up throughout the day. I'm Scott Thompson. Welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Obviously, uh, a lot of people enjoying the Super Bowl uh, yesterday, and um, and what an incredible game it was. My goodness, uh, it doesn't get much closer than that, as they say, which is uh, all you can ask for. We're going to talk about that coming up a little later on. Also, uh, what else we got? Well, uh, you know, um, if one, two, it's like that 99 uh, Love Balloon song. How many more of these things are going to come around? Uh, and, and it seems that, uh, uh, well, we're at number four. We all remember the first one that came in, uh, over Alaska through the territories into BC, into Alberta, and then into, uh, Saskatchewan and down out into Montana. Then finally we found out about it. Man, and then of course they took it down over um, over uh, the Carolina waters, just off the coast there. Uh, then Alaska, then the Yukon, then Lake Huron. Yesterday, uh, that one along the Michigan Ontario border. Uh, it's just in, I understand, uh, Ontario side of Lake Huron, so they're trying to go down there and and find out more and such. So um, you know, it, it's it's kind of a a, a bizarre scenario. Uh, here's a, a report from Global News's Tina. Uh, Tina Trajani on all of this. The safety of Canadians is our number one priority, and that's why I made the decision to shoot down the object. This is being taken very seriously, and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says there is still a lot to learn about this object shot down over central Yukon on Saturday. He'll be meeting with the territory's premier later today. This was something scheduled ahead of time, but this latest object in the sky will no doubt play a big role in their sit-down. Recovery efforts are underway in the wilderness for the remnants of this object. Now, it's not clear who sent it or the purpose, but it is suspected to be from China in a surveillance mission. This is the third of four high-altitude objects shot down over North American airspace over the last week, the latest over Lake Huron yesterday. Defense Minister Anita Anand has said the Yukon object was potentially similar to the Chinese spy balloon destroyed February 4th, which was followed by the second mystery object shot down over Alaska on Friday. Tina Kujani, Global News. And the Prime Minister on uh, the pattern that seems to be forming here. Obviously, there is some sort of pattern in there. The fact that we are seeing this in a significant degree over the past week uh, is a cause for interest and uh, close attention, uh, which is exactly what we're doing. We've employed deployed significant resources here uh, to be able to recover the, uh, the object. Uh, and on finding whatever that object is. In the recovery efforts, a lot of it is going to be around searching for and hopefully finding the object. There are also places and teams in place to make sure that whether it's hazardous, whether there's who knows what associated with the object, it be properly dealt with uh, by uh, people with the proper training. And finally, uh, the Prime Minister and many are saying, uh, at the very least, overspoke overspoke when he said he ordered this to uh, be shot down. 
The safety of Canadians is our number one priority, and that's why I made the decision to shoot down the object that was uh, a threat to civil aviation and a potential threat to Canadians. I have an interesting interview with Christian Leprac from the Royal Military College of Canada coming up a little later on talking about that uh, exact issue because uh, it was the Americans that shot it down, not uh, Canadians, and the Prime Minister does not give permission for an F-22 to or any other U.S. warplane to do something. That's up to President Biden. Was he asked permission? Were, were they consulted? Oh, absolutely. But to order it shot down, and then that drew the question at the news conference, well, how come a Canadian plane didn't take it out then if you know, you ordered that. Uh, and, and uh, you know, he basically said, we're not going to argue over uh, who gets credit for what or who did, <laughs> or, you know, and it starts backtracking. So uh, anyway, that's where we are. And, uh, it, you know, the prime minister kind of overspoke. It was the U.S. that uh, that shot it down, and I'm sure he gave permission uh, and everybody was consulted. But, um, yeah, that's where we are. So now the recovery and trying to figure out exactly what is going on and and what it is, uh, much more confirmation on the first one than we do the last three. So, uh, obviously, this is going to be an ongoing story. What else we got? Oh, Mayor John Tory at Toronto over the course of the weekend uh, coming up with a bombshell about an affair with uh, a staffer. And, and then uh, all of a sudden, boom. He's resigning. He's resigning as uh, the Toronto Star uh, broke the story about an hour ahead of that. And rather than wait for this to get out of hand, he just shocked everybody over the course of the weekend and said, no, I'm out. And, um, and, and again, just a jaw dropper there. Now he's at City Hall today and, uh, he has to officially tender his resignation. He hasn't done that yet. And many were speculating today why that isn't the case and, and why he hadn't done that. But now we're hearing that, in fact, uh, he will wait until Wednesday to do that in order to, uh, to get their uh, city budget through and make sure that pro, uh, process, uh, continues through in and efficient manner. So um, he's said he's going to resign. He hasn't officially resigned as yet. And we're now hearing that uh, after Wednesday's budget comes down, uh, then he'll get back to where he was. So uh, fascinating as everybody tries to digest what the heck happened over the course of uh, the weekend. And clearly the mayor, uh, you know, a complete lapse in judgment on so many fronts. But is that worth getting rid of the mayor of Toronto? over. And it's fascinating as we're starting to digest all of this and exactly what has happened, because, you know, whenever we see situations like this, we assume there is a victim. Uh, many times they're not. It's just two consenting adults who make uh, perhaps a bad decision. So, uh, or do make a bad decision, because look what's happened, uh, not only to their own personal lives and their families, but to, um, you know, the people of the city of Toronto who are now waiting in limbo to see where they go next. So we're going to try to digest all of that as well and look at it from various angles over the course of the afternoon. Great to have you here. I'm the Mayor of Toronto, John Tory, who uh, I think everybody was just uh, T-boned uh, over the course of the weekend when he announced his resignation or he intends to at least resign after an affair with a former staffer. Um, that part of the story we know very little about. The person it appears does not want to be identified. The star who broke the story is not publishing her name. Um, I, I'm not, it appears that she's moved on. I'm not sure if there's a victim.
victim here from what we can see. All we know is that there's a lot of upset people, I'm sure, in, in the family and friend circle, and uh, Toronto's without a good mayor. Alyssa Freeman's with us, PR and pop culture expert. She's with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Oh, I am, but oh, what a, a tangled web we weave. <laughs> this we is uh, practice to deceive. Y- you that's know, my, that's my poet, my poetic Henry for you, uh, Scott. <laughs> so, and, and that's all very valid. But is it enough to resign over? I mean, you certainly don't want to go through this in the media. But should the, you know, I, I'm I'm not sure that we should care about much of this if there's no victim. Well, you know, a lot of people are thinking that way. And here's what's interesting. If we had talked about this, oh, I don't know, five years ago, 10 years ago, I think there would have been less tolerance for such behavior. But right now, we have become, our tolerance level has has been has raised and well, actually has lowered. And we're trying to think, well, is this a good enough reason for her, for him to resign? And I think a lot of it is because generally, most people, not everybody, but most people like John Tory. And what they're thinking is, okay, well, you know, we know what we had before. We remember Rob Ford and he was smoking crack and nobody asked him to, they asked him to resign, but he did not resign. So now why is John Tory doing that? So, you know, and what's even more interesting is that the Toronto Star, A, breaks the story and then comes out with an editorial the other day that says, don't resign. Uh, bingo, bango, bingo. And um, I feel a little slimy uh, with all of this being in the media, especially when Rosie DeMano, one of their top columnists, comes out and says, I wouldn't have run the story. But she said, I, you know, that's why I'm a writer and I'm not in management. But, you know, is is the Toronto Star playing both sides of the street, getting its hands slimy and then saying, well, we're just reporting the truth. I mean, at what point is is this news? Was it news for Bill Clinton? Was it? I don't know. I just think, wow, I think this was a really good guy. And now people are just looking to pull him apart because, you know, he's human. He's got to have a mistake or two. Nobody ever would have thought this. But at the end of the day, his friends and family are in turmoil and and there's no mayor so who won who like what the hell's the sense you know it's interesting because when jfk was president of the united states the press was well aware of his uh sexual meanderings let's just say but they did not report on it it was it was a well-known open secret but nobody reported on it so you have to wonder you know the, the toronto star is definitely playing both sides of this they're like well we heard the story and it's our it's um it's what we do that's what we do we report things so therefore we're going to tell you because we feel it's our duty to do so but maybe we don't necessarily think he's such a bad guy. So now we're going to do an editorial that takes a bit of the sting off, off of that. And I talk, think they're covering their own rear end. I think people I are going. Think so, I think I also, people are going I mean, like, I, "What the heck, Star? Like, is this anybody's business? I mean, a crack smoking mayor is one thing. This is another. And I think they're purposely publishing these comments by these columnists to try to balance it out so they don't look so bad. Or are we all just being part of a game that has already been played out in some back room that says, okay, well, we know that this is going to happen, but then what we want you to do is this. And then so if uh, Mayor or John Tory decides not to resign, well, you've already sort of set the table and set the foundation for that so that if it doesn't happen, people are not as surprised. Like, I am sorry, maybe I'm just too jaded after all of these conversations that we have had over the years and the way that politics runs, but I I hate to think that all this stuff is organic. 
I just don't think so anymore, Scott. And I think that these things are planned that uh, and they just play out so that we as the public uh, think that they are organic and this is just what's happening. But I don't think so. I think this is all some sort of pre-plan and we're definitely going to know by what happens, whether he resigns or not. I think he made a mistake and then the story got out. So he got ahead of the story because he's an extremely smart man and now he's going to resign. And guess what's going to happen? He's going to run again and get back in. So is this planned? Yeah, I don't think the affair was planned, but but certainly, yeah, get the hell out of there. Get ahead of the story. And if they want you back, they'll invite you back. But, you know, again, I, I think he's getting out of a story where, you know, he obviously doesn't look good. He's getting ahead of it. And and it wouldn't surprise me if he circles back around. It wouldn't surprise me either. Now, the other thing that a lot of politicos do is that when they have um when they have really, sorry about that, to turn off my phone for you, Scott. Um, when they have really bad news to share, what they do is they'll release it either at Friday at 4 p.m. or in this case at about 7 p.m. And they hope that what it'll do is run the news cycle, so run its course. So by the time it gets to Monday, the sure. story still starts to peter out. That's not necessarily been the case with this. No. But that was part of, that's part of the plan. So I think that, A, that what they're also doing during this time, Scott, is they're testing public re- reaction. Believe me, Tory's back room there is monitoring all the social channels, Facebook, Twitter especially, and seeing how people feel. They're probably, they might even be doing a poll or two, but who knows? But what they're now is they're gathering all their data and they're seeing, well, maybe he resigns. And then if we think that public sentiment is where it's at, maybe we'll have him run again. And if that's the case, that would actually make me mad, Scott, because quite honestly, elections are expensive and it's all taxpayer money. Yeah, uh, it wouldn't be the first time, though, a politician has left and circled back around and came back in. Um, the star decided not to publish uh, the lady's name, the woman's name. Um, how noble. <laughs> Well, I know. And I think that everybody, listen, if you even type in, you type in John Tory, and this is what Google comes up with. John Tory's wife, John Tory's girlfriend, uh, John Tory's name of girlfriend. I mean, people are dying to know. I mean, it's just our innate curiosity that we want to know. And we also know that there's been other high profile politicians, Doug Ford in this province, who had a well-known affair with someone who is an MPP. And, you know, she's still an MPP and he's still the premier. So it's almost like there is one set of rules if you're in one part of the government and in another set of rules with another part. And then, you know, maybe this also had. um, I think it's one set of rules for one party, one set of rules uh, on another. I think that's what it is. But, uh, man, I don't know. I'm just I'm wondering what all this yeah. think is about it's like at the end of the day uh he made a horrific mistake i'm not defending him or them in any way but man to get this really you know i also think that and i'm trying to remember his name who also recently designed uh, resigned but it was it was more serious about the sexual allegations um and he was head of economic development help me out scott what is it that's name? different uh, I, I know. But I think that, you know, when people start to put all these things together and they're trying to get from A to Z in, in, in terms of coming up with a solution, they think, well, you know, I know that the sexual allegations were different and more serious for him. But how can we say that they're any less serious for the mayor because he's the mayor? And this is what people parse about. This is this is this is what people think. And when they're trying to come up with some sort of answer or some sort of go forward action, you know, if you do resign, 
Scott, then it's over. You're you're done, and then you lead your life, and you mm. go on and do whatever, and you you go back to Rogers Communications. Um, you know, if you continue on in the political spotlight, will the rest of the you know will the electorate forgive and forget? I don't know. Will your colleagues forgive and forget? I don't know. But these are things that you're going to have to live with day in and day out. So how thick is your skin? How important is this to you? So you really have to weigh all of those things. It's a very difficult decision. I think that at the outset, from what I've been seeing on social media, many people are saying, well, does he have to resign over this? Exactly. That's who we think he is. Too much wokeness, and and again, a victim, different story, but too much wokeness and not enough getting it done, and here we are. Alyssa Freeman with his PR pop culture expert. I have a feeling uh, we'll talk about this one again. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Be well. No, I hope so. I'll be right here, Scott. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. The safety of Canadians is our number one priority, and that's why I made the decision to shoot down the object that was uh, a threat to civil aviation and a potential threat to Canadians. I thought the U.S. shot it down, but what do I know? And when asked uh, up on the Yukon today at a news conference from a reporter, like, why didn't a Canadian jet shoot it down then if you ordered that? And then he said, well, it's not a, a contest to see who gets credit for what or something to that effect. <laughs> Anyway, uh, it is what it is. Uh, oddly enough, on the anniversary ish of um, of um, convoys and that sort of thing, uh, we've. Uh, <laughs> I know I shouldn't draw the comparison, but honestly, if uh, a pile of truckers show up on your front step and stop beeping horns and you run away, how can we feel confident about uh, balloons that are flying around over the north that we don't really find out about until they're in Montana? But I digress. Let's hear the other side of the story. Brian J. Cram, political analyst for CNN, White House reporter and columnist for Salon.com, the Washington diplomat, host of Just Ask the Question podcast, author of the book, Free the Press, The Death of American Journalism and How to Revive It. Brian, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Doing well. I don't own any balloons, so I'm doing okay. All right. So, uh, well, apparently you guys do because you floated 10 of them into China. Uh, are you guys not up to date on this technology or what? Uh, what is the response, by the way, on the, on the fact that the U.S. apparently has flown uh, a few of those into China, as they say? Well, as John Kirby told us in the briefing today, when asked specifically about us, uh, they he said we have flown no uh, balloons over Chinese airspace. And they said, and the follow-up was, what about uh, space that they claim is theirs that may not be theirs? And he reiterated his first statement, we have not flown anything over Chinese airspace. So the South China Sea in Taiwan is still open for for hmm. a discussion, and apparently we may have flown balloons there, but that's quite a different matter from what's occurred in, in the U.S. Uh, violating airspace is what this is all about, and uh, that and that will be continue that will continue to be the topic of discussion going forward. Obviously, the first one much bigger, higher up, etc. Uh, these the the last three. Do we really know? Or are we just assuming they're from China? Well, we're we're assuming they're from China, of course. There are conspiracy theorists among us who are convinced it was aliens from the planet Zeta Eta Tau or something. But <laughs> for those people, I will only say that if uh, an F-16, a 40-year-old aircraft, can shoot down an alien, uh, whatever it was, uh, then we're going to be okay, folks. Uh, so you don't need to worry too much about aliens. And in fact, Kirby said, look, we're, we haven't said where they're from. 
But, you know, don't worry about aliens. The, the speculation from senior members of the DOD that I've spoken to uh, you know, on, you know, on background is that it's a case of either China or Russia trying to test our limits and our capabilities as to what we can pick up when and where. And the other flip side of that was we let the first one go through, passively blocked it from, uh, uh, from uh, transmitting back to China waited till it was over our territorial waters. And because of the size, look, the balloon is 200 feet tall, the, the payload underneath it, the size of a couple of city buses. They waited till it was over the open water to take it out so it wouldn't hurt anyone or, or the chances of hurting people were s- decreased significantly. The other three things that were shot down were not nearly that size. They were brought down in, in, lo- in uh, various uh, locations that – aren't close to any downtown areas where they might take out, you know, kids traffic or, you know, you walking your dog. So th- that is where that's at. And at, at the bottom line of it all, it, it will wait till they get the stuff back. They will determine what it was that was sent and then they'll let us know. Uh, obviously they're dialing up surveillance for this sort of thing. Um, what does this do with relations between Canada and the United States and NORAD and making sure that we know what we're doing? We got a handle on what's going on up there. Well, I think it just brings us closer together in those regards because we're, you know, we're, we share North America and we don't like people flying stuff over our airspace, especially if you don't know what it is. There's been in the past, there've been a lot of them apparently, but we dialed up our, the sensitivity so that we could show that we could pick them off. And at that point in time, like I said, you know, once they determined what it was that we waited on the first one and then on the others, the president apparently said, look, just shoot them down, <laughs> get, get them right. done, get them over with. And we'll figure out what it is, you know, sort it out afterwards. Um, you know, the concern for some, and, and I'll explain that it's not a big concern, but there is a concern that it would interfere. These uh, The last few that were taken out were at lower altitudes, 40 and 20,000 feet commercial mm-hmm. airways. Uh, well, would we take out a commercial airliner? Well, as a pilot, I can tell you, and, and as someone who's covered the DOD for years, there are verification processes which will tell you there's transponder codes. There You can see on radar whether what the size is, what it looks like. Chances of taking out a, a commercial airliner are slim and none because yeah. they also, in that case, at 20,000 feet, you would have to have visual verification of the target. So that's not a real concern. The The biggest concern is it really we should be looking into why is this occurring and right. from where. And it's obvious that if it's Russia or China, we have a great deal of concern about what they can see and have seen in the past. So that's where the, the real major concern is. It's not that uh, they're going to take out, you know, Ma and Paul Kettle and their uh, Cessna 172. <laughs> All right. So, And I love when Ma and Paul Kettle got in their Cessna. That was always a fun yeah. part of those movies. <laughs> anyway, just to eliminate confusion, it was the U.S. that shot this down. Our prime minister said earlier that he ordered it down. Um, obviously, I'm sure there's lots of cooperation. They're all chatting. They don't go blowing stuff out of each other's airspace without talking to them. But it was not a Canadian. It was an American jet that have taken these down. Yeah, what could have happened is that Canada, you know, the Canadian authorities could say, "Yeah, go ahead, take it out," and, and then we took it out. Or, or it yeah, could be yeah. that you know we recommended that, but the United States wouldn't take something out over Canadian airspace without right. Canada's government either 
asking us to do it or telling us it was okay to do it. Yeah. So it's, it, you know, we're not going to go, Hey, you know, we saw a balloon up over there. So we shot it down. You want it? You know, that's, that's, not, a, that's not how it works. All right. So what's next? Where does this go, Brian? Good question. You got to figure out what was in the payload. What was, um, you know, what was in the crowd at, at the end of the day, John Kirby today at, um, in responding to one reporter, uh, James Rosen said, look, whatever else I can tell you, these craft are not aliens. Yeah. So it's a craft of some sort. Is it a cylinder with uh, instruments in it? Was it a, de a dead cylinder to, to test whether or not just to test whether or not we could pick it up and see it? We will have to wait until we get the pieces on the ground analyzed, and then we'll know what the next step is going to be. It's a major concern for relations between in, uh, all nations of North America, well, all nations of the world, really, and China and Russia if they're doing this um, and or whoever is doing it and for whatever reason. So if the next step will be determining what it was and what it was being used for, and then that will dictate the further steps. Brian J. Karam with us, political analyst for CNN, White House reporter, columnist for Salon.com, the Washington diplomat, and was there today when all of this was going down. Brian, thanks for the time. As always, much appreciated. Be well. You too, my brother. Talk to you soon. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. All right, we uh, talked a lot about, uh, this was uh, during the uh, funeral uh, events for Queen Elizabeth, and obviously, you know, dignitaries there from around the world, including Canada. But somebody spent 6000 bucks a night, a night in a hotel room. And many have been trying to get to the bottom of where it all uh, went and who stayed there. We know it wasn't the governor general that stayed there. They sort of separated their, self, their, their uh, selves from it and all. Uh, but still, no real um, um, quest or sorry answer as to uh, who did. Some thought it was maybe actress Sandra. Oh, I mean, uh, who knows? Anyway, this is coming out, I guess, because uh, now more information is coming to light about redacted uh, emails and such. Let's bring in Franco Terrazano, Canadian Taxpayers Federation Federal Director, and with us now. Franco, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I am. Thanks for having me on today. So why is this in the news again? Why did this come out again today? Well, thank goodness for, for our friends over there at the Toronto Sun. Hey, they're doing a lot of good digging at, on this information. It was uh, Mr. Brian Lilly who first broke the story that someone in the government billed taxpayers for a $6,000 a night hotel room uh, during the Queen's funeral. And, you know, now we're finding out they got all these access to information requests showing emails uh, of redacting who it was who stayed in there, uh, emails showing that political staffers in the minister's office were essentially telling bureaucrats not to be transparent with us Canadian taxpayers. So you know what? I'm reading this story. I'm pretty frustrated. For starters, uh, nobody should be spending $6,000 a night on a single hotel room when you're in government billing taxpayers. But second, I mean, at least be upfront and honest with taxpayers, right? Just give us the name. Will we ever know? Will we ever get that name, Franco? I mean, um, obviously, it's not the governor general. It really only leaves the prime minister. Some have, yeah. uh, have thought maybe actress, actors, whatever, that were there. Um, is there any, do you have any confidence that we will find out? Yeah, yeah. You know, nothing's 100%, right, in this world. But I'm very, 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 very confident that eventually this name will end up coming out. And look, we deserve to know, right? They're billing us 
So they should be able to tell us who it was who stayed in that hotel room. Look, if it was Mr. Trudeau, if it was someone else and they wanted to stay there on their own dime, fair enough. We don't need to know who it was. But once you're expensing us taxpayers for it, we, we, we definitely deserve to know an answer for this. And by the way, let's, let's go back in time to when Mr. Trudeau was telling us Canadians that his government would be different when it comes to transparency, that his government would be transparent by default. Well, these days, it seems the Trudeau government is about as transparent as a coconut. Uh, interesting you should say that because this came up during the uh, question period in the House of Commons today. Uh, the Prime Minister not there, he's in the Yukon obviously, but Christia Freeland taking questions and was asked directly about the $6,000 a night hotel room and and Christia Freeland didn't even acknowledge the question and just went on to talk about benefits that Canadians were receiving. <laughs> didn't even address the question. Oh my goodness, right? And this is our finance minister who has to yeah. deliver a budget shortly. And, you know, she's been telling us Canadians that her government has been, quote, fiscally prudent. Isn't that a funny joke? I mean, there is no way that you can square that circle, that a government is being fiscally prudent, and at the same time, someone is billing us for $6,000 a night for a single hotel room. Um, but you know what's so frustrating is obviously the cost. It's obviously the lack of transparency. But here's number three is that this is, it seems like it's becoming the rule, not the exception, right? Here's the expensive trip to the Queen's funeral in London. You and I on the show have talked about the Governor General's expensive trip yeah. to Dubai, the 100K airplane food, more than a million dollars on a week-long trip. And then even before that, you had COP20, what was it, COP26 back in Glasgow of November, I believe, 2021, when we sent the largest delegation of any G7 country including the host nation, United Kingdom. So unfortunately, it's becoming the rule, not the exception, that the government is billing us for these fancy, expensive trips overseas. Um, the information also uh, saying that they were aware of the reports in the media that the Sun, as you had mentioned, had exposed and such. Is that going to change things for the King's King Charles coronation? What can we expect there? Well, that's a good question. Uh, and the Sun even talked about it in that news article saying that the bureaucrats were like, uh-oh, <laughs> the public Yeah, knows. they're actually mentioning it, yeah. Uh-oh, the public knows that we uh, kind of fleeced them a little bit here with the $6,000 a night hotel. Should we change things up? Uh, well, that remains to be seen. <laughs> we actually weren't given a very straight answer on whether there will be any legitimate savings when it comes to the king's coronation. So do we, when will we find those plans out? When will that start to, uh, to surface? Because that's coming up in May, I believe. Well, I can tell you right now, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation is going to be filing access to information requests. So how do you think that, uh, do you think this story has legs or is it opposition just hammering away at something that, you know, uh, they know is going to get people's attention? Well, I think it should get people's attention. Um, because <laughs> while we have our elected officials, our, our heads of government, so to speak, spending 6 k a night on hotel room, um, you have people back at home who are wondering, do I get the ground beef or do I get the jug of milk today? Mm. So, no, I think this absolutely has legs. But not only this story, I think it's the feel, it's the perception, it's the sting that when you're struggling, when your small business is struggling, when your family's struggling, when you're legitimately making very difficult decisions every single week, and then you see stories like this, 
or stories of quarantine hotel in 2022 costing tens of millions of dollars. Or you see stories of the governor general spending nearly six figures on fancy airplane food. Or you see stories of the government spending eight grand on a sex toy show abroad. Yes, that did happen. I think you, you feel frustrated. And we're hearing story after story after story of wasteful spending with our tax dollars at the worst possible time. Uh, the $6,000 per night hotel room for the Queen's funeral back in the news as uh, we find out efforts to take into minim- uh, minimize the trouble the government could get into from that one and perhaps the King's coronation coming forward. Franco Terrazano, Canadian Taxpayer Federation Federal Director. Franco, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Thanks for having me on. You know, I remember very, very vividly, and maybe you do too, and, and, and let me say right off the top, this is an amazing project. I think this is a great leap forward for Arslar Mittal de Fasco to get away from coal and, uh, and move on to cleaner ways of creating steel. I have constantly said that I think the environmentalists are going backwards on all of this, and instead of getting the world off coal, they're trying to get the world off everything, which, of course, it's already failed at getting us off. Off of coal, so how can it possibly expect this to get off everything? So anyway, I'm watching this announcement, and I'm thinking, wow, this is quite the the feat taking uh, DeFasco and turning it into uh, you know f- uh, fired through electricity and all of this other such, and getting off off coal, which obviously is a, is a heavy pollutant. So, um, and and I'm watching this with the prime minister and the premier, and the prime minister standing up there in in his in his arrogant way says you don't see russia doing this you don't see china doing this you don't see the united states doing this and the whole while i'm thinking to myself well especially europe and russia and china they don't have a waterfall at one end of the lake uh, to get power from uh, and they don't have nuclear facilities at the other end of the lake uh, to get power from and a clean supply of liquid natural gas in the middle middle to make up for everything that doesn't work uh is if they do have that and they don't which is why they're asking for canada for it so he was really uh, uh quite um um complimentary about this happening and we all agree with this um uh, but again, it's done because we have the natural resources that enable us to do that. And one of them is liquid natural gas. Uh, fast forward to it announced uh, a little while ago that Enbridge wants to put a, a major pipeline, 12-inch pipeline, uh, down to feed uh, DeFasco as, do, as it does this and steps away from uh, coal. And environmentalists are all standing there like, what do you mean? What do you mean? The prime minister didn't say anything about this. You know, we're supposed to be getting off of fossil fuels. And although you're going to one that's way cleaner than coal, uh, we can't do that. And I remember very vividly in the interviews I did after this announcement asking officials, do we have enough electricity for this? Because I'm thinking they're going to suck up a bit. Like the your lights will burn, you know, brown in Hamilton as soon as they flick on the you know the switch. So no, no, there'll be plenty, there'll be plenty, and there will be plenty because they'll use whatever modular, whether it's nukes or natural gas, to help fire this through the transitional period. But to think you're going to just sweep coal away and plug in your easy bake oven is just nuts. It's just absolutely nuts. And it amazes me that there are environmentalists now standing up and as if this has blindsided them, which leads me to believe how little 
they really actually know about what the transitional period will look like or what it's even all about. And again, I've said this to many, including Elizabeth May. If you can't get the world off coal, how do you shut off everything? Because they have failed to get the world off of coal because they don't want to use other cleaner ways of, of, of burning fuels, fossil fuels, to get there. It's all or nothing. And we all know that's just not the case. And the DeFasco project is a perfect example of what the world is going through. Imagine DeFasco's China or Russia, and all they're doing is burning coal, burning coal, burning Well, why don't we do this? It's still not getting you off of fossil fuel completely, but it's certainly a lot better than burning the piles and piles of coal you got out front on the property. Because that's exactly what the world is asking Canada to do. The world is asking Canada for its clean, liquid, natural gas to get the world off coal. Exactly like we're doing at DeFasco. So how come it works for Canada, but it's not supposed to work for the rest of the world? Let's bring in Dan McTagg, President of Canadians for Affordable Energy and a former Liberal MP. He is with us now. Dan, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I am. The point that I was making here, Dan, is that all of a sudden seems that environmentalists, after this great announcement about DeFasco, uh, and, and now that they have to put a, a gas line in there to help this transition period, the environmentalists are all stunned. Like, what do you mean? This wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, I, I just can't believe that they, they, they're unaware of how this transition will actually work. Yeah, I mean, I think they believe that... Uh windmills, solar energy, and hydrogen are at hand, and therefore you can make that quick transition. The amount of energy required uh, in coal uh, for those plants cannot be displaced easily. And it's certainly not going to happen overnight. Even if the technology were to somehow exist, the cost would be so prohibitive that the company would probably wind up closing. So I think people are finally getting what I think is a significant and serious dose of reality. The problem with the Greens and the activists is that they actually believe their own press releases. And reality is starting to bite them right in the backside. And so a company with a significant presence here in Hamilton has made a decision. Uh, It is the right decision. It's the correct decision. By the way, Europe's going in just exactly in that direction. Uh, Albeit, if they don't, they'll wind up burning a lot more coal, as is the rest of the world. So I think it's really time to call these folks out uh, for their uh, you know, their abject uh, ignorance of economic and energy reality, because there's no way you can get the energy density required by walking around with windmills and solar panels uh, and, uh, to a lesser extent, uh, hydrogen, which really can't be made without natural gas to begin with. We can talk all we want about the big game, but those are just hypotheticals, and they are not realistic, they are not true, and they are not now. So build that pipeline. Canadians have paid dearly for not having enough pipelines to get our energy to the world. Scott, it's costing you and I 30 cents a litre on gasoline. It's probably contributing to about 20% of the inflation that we're paying today. And that, of course, is just triggering the Bank of Canada to raise interest rates. So anybody who thinks that the green grifters should have the only say in reality, I think uh, needs to give their head a bit of a shake. It's amazing that... You know, we can see this, uh, the viability of doing this to DeFasco. It's amazing we can see the business case for clean, liquid, natural gas for this, but we can't see it for the rest of the world because to me, what's going on at DeFasco is exactly what we should be doing around the rest of the world. 
Exactly. But you have a prime minister captured by a fanatical group of two, four, six percent of people who have never worked a day in their life to do anything more than, you know, find excuses in order to justify their existence or to write academic papers for otherwise which they wouldn't get any money. So I, my, my sense is that as Canadians are starting to face reality, it's a harsh one. It's an expensive one. Affordability has been completely trashed. The prime minister's comments ring hollow. The comments about a business case needing to be made. Listen, does any business case needs to be made? It's his exit as prime minister and the gang of people around him who have left Ontario with a $6.5 billion annual debt on hydro costs, on green energy, which is double the cost of our hydro, and for which we have a number of actors think it's cool to go out and charge you 15, 20 cents a liter for diesel, for gasoline, and everything else as they raise their, not just their first carbon tax, but are now ready to implement the second carbon tax, the clean fuel standard. I think it's time for these people to, frankly, put up and go because the damage they've done to Canadians and our bottom line is, un, is, is unacceptable. We need the other 92% of Canadians to finally pitch in and pitch these guys out. Dan McTagg with us, President of Canadians for Affordable Energy, former Liberal MP, uh, watching DeFasco use Canadian liquid natural gas to get off coal exactly like we should be doing around the world. Uh, Dan, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Thanks, Scott. Take care. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right. Over the course of the weekend, many blindsided uh, when they saw the news that uh, Toronto Mayor John Tory was set to resign uh, due to an affair with a staff member. Um, that person has apparently left uh, the mayor's office, and, and this was over a while ago. But this story got out uh, and was broke by the Toronto Star, who we're going to be talking to uh, a little later on before five o'clock um and about uh, an hour later john tory came out on friday and said that uh he was out due to all of this now monday today he shows up at the office uh hasn't handed in his resignation yet but has informed people that he's going to be staying on until wednesday through the budget process that toronto's obviously in the middle of going through let's bring in nelson wiseman professor department of political science university of toronto and with us now nelson thank you for your time hope you're well I'm well, Scott. Thank you. What are your thoughts on this, Nelson? Now that we've had like a weekend to digest it all and we are where we are, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are, at first I was shocked because it wasn't in character with what we knew about Tory and his image. And now what I'm thinking about is, okay, what happens now? And uh, we're going to have a wide-open mayor's race because we didn't uh, in the election in October. Everybody knew that Tory was going to get reelected. Tory knew it. His main opponent knew it. And in the election before that, uh, we all thought he was going to get reelected too. Incumbent mayors don't get defeated. The last incumbent mayor in Toronto who was defeated was in the 1970s. That was John Sewell. Uh, you can say Barbara Hall was defeated, but she really wasn't because that's when the city was consolidated. Metro, the city of Toronto, now incorporated, um, uh, you know, now East York, North York, Scarborough. And um, so what happened is that one mayor ran against another mayor. Mel Lastman defeated Barbara Hall. And North York had more, and still does, has more mm. people in down, than the city of Toronto itself, the old city of Toronto, and he won. 
but you know, in a queen mayor's race, the last time was you got to go back to the seventies. That's half a century. So um, obviously, we've seen the direction that this has taken, and uh, he's got ahead of the story and 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 resigned prior to the weekend. Although now hanging on till till the budget and such, um, do you see him circling around again and rerunning for this position again? Uh, of course, that's possible. I never thought of that, and I still don't think he will. Be, uh, yeah, no, I don't think he will because hey, you've put it out there that you're resigning, yeah, it, it, turning around and then saying, well, maybe I'm not. Totally well, I guess the reason I'm, I guess I re- the, the reason I'm saying this, Nelson, is that I think a lot of people are saying, okay, uh, after they've digested it all, is are, are there victims here? Is there something? Is there harassment? Is there this, that, or the other? Because obviously, dating a staffer of which you're a, sup- a superior of is, you know, unethical. I mean, it's not illegal, but it's certainly unethical. And now, once we're digesting that, and we don't know who the person is, and, and nobody's publishing the names, and doesn't seem to be coming forward or want any part of this, um, it was two consenting adults. And now Toronto's without a mayor. Uh, many questioning whether this should be uh, a reason for resignation. Even in the Toronto Star, some columnists are saying, uh, you know, I don't think we should have run the story. So is this enough to set somebody on their way, considering it appears most seem to be sad he's going? Yes. Um it, look, it's up to him if he wants to resign. He yeah. said he's going to resign. The only question is now, what I've learned from you, Scott, is that it sounds like he's going to hang on because he wants his budget to get through. Yeah, he's going I, to be there till Wednesday. Yeah, you know, which we didn't know, I guess, until today. In fact, I learned it from you. Mm-hmm. It wasn't clear to me what was going to happen. What I found most interesting in the two stories I've just read in the Toronto Star is the whole thing around the strong mayor because that's been very controversial. What it means on Wednesday, and while he's in office, if he's right. in office, and he, is that if you want to get an amendment through to change his budget, um, he can veto that with only one-third support. He can veto it. You'd have mm-hmm. to get two-thirds of the council to overturn that. And what the province apparently said yesterday or today is that that power is not transferable. That's not in the legislation. The legislation just says the mayor has that. So I find that interesting. He feels vested enough in his budget. Now, the other thing about, oh, is this chaos in Toronto? No, not at all. Look, there's a huge bureaucracy, and there's incredible inertia. The budget has been more or less put to bed. The only thing that will come up is some people are on the left of the council who oppose Tory, who's on the right, will say, hey, you know, we shouldn't have this 5% cutback uh, on transit. Or, you know, we shouldn't be doing what you're planning to do about uh, pulling down part of the gardener expressway things like that they'll uh, or we should put more some more money into climate change so they're going to try to bring up amendments that they've brought up before that have been defeated and i suspect we're going to get the budget through exactly the way it is and he's just there to ensure it what i've also learned is that obviously or uh, you mentioned we don't know who this woman is. Somebody told me today that they do know who it is, and she started by giving me her first name. I don't remember if she gave the second, and said, oh, it's been out there on Reddit. 
yeah. which I don't which I don't read. So, and uh, they told me I don't know if it's true. I don't have any reason to disbelieve it. It's a colleague at the university, but you know they got it somewhere that the relationship had actually gone on for a long time. And we've also learned that hey, reporters knew about this. Some did last December. They just didn't mm-hmm. run the story. So this was inevitably probably going to come out. And now it came out and it's revealing that he holds the press conference late on Friday night. That way you don't get the big stories. Like when I opened up the mm-hmm. Globe and Mail on Saturday, it was a, a a quick little thing on the front page, right on top. And then the story had really no substance because the papers put to bed much earlier. So that's a way of trying to minimize the story. And that's what all politicians do. We only got a few seconds left here, Nelson. Should we care about this? Is this a reason to lose the mayor chair? Now, again, he resigned. He he got ahead of all this, the the flack that was about to follow. But should we care? Is this enough? You know, that's a good, you raised it in another way. Look, it's up to him. Uh, It seems to me, from what I can make out, that or what I've learned today in the media is that he and his wife have had a strained relationship, and this probably was the final straw. And she may have said, "Okay." And his kids didn't show up at his victory party last uh, when he won the election. His wife wasn't there, that which is odd. And so maybe it was. Look, uh, you can continue as mayor, and I'm getting divorced. You want to keep the family together? You got to resign. That it could be as simple yeah, as that. Yeah, you so never know. For the yeah. perspective from a lot of people, yeah, this isn't the big thing. Politicians are human beings; they have affairs. But uh, first off, it it doesn't fit with his image. Look, nobody would have look what Rob Ford said about uh, affairs. You know, oh, I have enough sex at home with my wife. Mm. But you know, that was at a different level. Then he got busted on crack cocaine. The whole idea behind Tory, one of the reasons he won, he said, I was going to bring respectability to the office. Well, okay, having an affair, is that respectable? I don't think it is in the eyes of your wife and a lot of the people who voted for you. That's why I think he'll circle back around and get back in again, if unless, as you've said, that the the family is like, no, no, enough of this stuff. But anyway, it'll be fascinating. He's not circling, or I'm fairly confident. But All right. we'll talk about that in the future. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. All right, uh, as you no doubt know, and a story that broke uh, in the Toronto Star over the course of the weekend uh, in regard to the mayor of Toronto, John Tory, handing in his resignation, or at least agreeing to, we're finding out that's going to happen after the budget process on Wednesday, uh, but handing in his resignation uh, due to a affair that he had been having with a staffer. Uh, we understand that's not now over and all have moved on, uh, but obviously, uh, as this comes to life, the, the damage is what it is. And shocked many uh, across the country, pretty safe to say. Let's bring in David Ryder, Toronto Star, City Hall Bureau Chief, uh, Chief, and is with us now. David, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Yeah, I am. Thanks. So, David, how did the Star find out about this? How did the how were these seeds first planted? So it was a long process. I actually got a tip back in early December 
that the uh, the mayor's marriage was kind of in trouble and it looked like they were heading for separation or divorce. Um, you know, that's not kind of the normal story I do and it wouldn't be like a big story, but they are a power couple in Toronto and, mm-hmm. and you know, we would do something to mark the end of their marriage if the mayor sort of gave us a, a statement or if they filed divorce papers. So I just sort of checked in with the mayor's office and said, since issue, but is there something we should know? They basically said, nothing right now the mayor wants to talk about. And I said, okay, if I hear anything else, I'll come to you. Or if you file papers, we'll probably do a story. And I left it there. But I did when I was talking to the people around the mayor, as I often do, you know, I would start to say, have you heard something? And it became apparent to me that it was an open secret in political circles that the mayor and his wife were estranged. She was primarily living in Florida. He was up here doing his busy visit, busy uh, schedule. And it had been that way for at least probably the latter part of the pandemic. So fast forward till about two weeks ago, and um, one of the people I've been talking to came forward with a credible tip and said, it's more than just an estrangement. There's another person, to which I was like, okay, I'm not sure we'd report that. They said, it's a young, very young woman compared to him, and she worked for him. Um, that you know raised it to a possible public interest kind of a level. So mm-hmm. uh, myself and my team... Ben Spur and Alicia Hashem started investigating. Um, the first couple of people I asked around the mayor were kind of like, no, that's crazy. John Corey would never do that. Um, but then we got a couple who said, yeah, there is something. And we quickly found out the identity of the woman, the fact that it appeared that the relationship had started when they were working together and not after she had left for another job. Um, we took that to the mayor's office in a series of emails with different questions uh, that culminated with a statement we got from the mayor's lawyer last Friday evening. We broke the story at 7.30 p.m., and at 8.30 p.m., he walked into the mayor's office and mm. announced his resignation. Wow. Uh, and yeah. so, so do we know that if it was this affair, which was the reason for their marriage being strained, or was it strained already, or we didn't know? Do we know? Is there a connection there? We, 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 don't, we don't know for certain. Um, we've reached out to his wife, Barbara Hackett, and have heard nothing back. And we just have what the mayor has said, which is his, his statement suggested they became estranged during the pandemic. It, it's no secret that Barbara Hackett doesn't have an appetite for politics and and Mayor Tory seems to have an endless appetite for politics um, and that she, you know, would rather, you know, live the life of a wealthy woman who can, you know, live in a mansion in Florida or go to their cottage in Lake Simcoe. And he wanted to stay here and kind of do his like seven day a week, 18 hour day kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it seems that they drifted apart. We don't the timing. He did provide a little bit of detail that we didn't have in the statement, which was, that, well, he said the relationship started during the pandemic and continued for some time and then only ended um, sometime in January. He said it was early this year. And I got this statement. I originally started asking February 3rd. So I think it was it was sometime in January. Uh, do we know much more about the other person? Is is she a victim here? Um, anything to lead, no, to believe as no to that? There's no indication of that, but we can't really say. We we have reached out to her in multiple different ways, including knocking on the door, uh, knocking on her front door, and leaving a note. Um, uh, and she is, uh, and I think we we could see in our reporting. Um, her social media had been completely locked down and in some cases wiped. So I think, she, you know, there was indications probably because we were asking around that that she knew we were going to come talking to her. We don't know. We know she's in her early 30s. Um, we reported today that uh, she works at, at um, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, and that was pertinent because um, MLSE is partly owned by Rogers. Uh, Mayor Tory is entangled in Rogers. 
we had to ask, you know, did he use his influence to get his essentially his secret girlfriend a job? Um, MLSE says no. He says no, but we're continuing to investigate. Um, other than that, we don't we don't know a lot. I mean, we know some background about where she's from and stuff, but we made the editorial decision not to name her because she's she didn't choose a political life. Like she didn't get elected to public office right. and surrender her privacy the way Mayor Tory did. So uh, he's in till Wednesday. Has there been any uh, blowback from that? Any fallout? Well, there's a lot going on. I mean, there's two parallel things. It's very interesting to watch at City Hall. There's a movement of councillors and others outside of City Hall to really try and convince him to change his mind and stay. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, there's a movement of a lot of people, including some of his uh, people who are normally his allies on council, who have already chosen like who they're going to get behind to replace him. Um, and in some cases, those people overlap. I talked to one guy today. So I was like, well, if, if he wants to stay, I'll back him. But if he doesn't, maybe I want to be mayor. So wow. there's all <laughs> kinds there's all kinds of things going on and a lot of jockeying. And I think all eyes are watching him. I, I, my gut so far is he... He is staying till Wednesday, and he kind of has to because under the strong mayor process that he lobbied for, um, it's his budget. He proposed it. And I think uh, it would just the, – the legislation that gave him those powers doesn't really envision uh, an acting strong mayor. So he – I think what I was hearing from city clerks is they think he has to go and kind of defend it, and then he will officially put in his papers and resign. But there, you know, I, I'm, I'm told he is kind of regretting the advice he got, which was that you really have no choice but to go. I think he'll circle back around again, David. I honestly think. I don't think this is the last we've heard of him. Uh, thanks so much for the time, David. David Ryder, Toronto Star, City Hall Bureau Chief, broke the story uh, in regard to uh, the Toronto mayor and his extramarital affair with a staffer. David, thanks for the time. Be well. You too. Take care. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Uh, whether it's balloons floating around, uh, the last three of which we're not really sure what their origins were, or Russia continuing to push its offensive in Ukraine and Moldova's president saying that Russia is going to try to take them over next. Uh, let's bring in Arl Brown, Professor of International Relations, senior monk, a senior member of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto, and is with us now. Arl, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Thank you. Before we get to uh, Moldova and what's going on uh, in their suspicions of Russia, your thoughts on the balloons we're seeing flying around, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, do you think any of this is related? Could some of these be from Russia? We just don't know. The only reassurance we have had so far is that these are not extraterrestrial. So uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, ED, ED is not involved. But uh, they could be Chinese. They could be Russian. We know that the Russians have been prodding and probing at uh, Western, including North American defenses. But... Uh, uh, the governments of the United States and Canada have been very tight-lipped on this, and uh, they are busy trying to recover uh, the uh, evidence. But clearly, we are being tested. And this is what happened disturbingly before the invasion of Ukraine as well, that uh, Vladimir Putin was testing uh, President Biden. Uh, President Biden basically failed that test, and uh, Russia invaded. Now, they were surprised that subsequently the American administration was much tougher than they expected, but uh, they were under the belief uh, uh, that uh, they had 
a, a green light uh, that uh, the guerrilla warfare that uh, Biden was talking about, also that invasion was something they could handle. Uh, Biden was not clear that uh, they would not uh, allow, uh, as far as they could help, uh, help it, uh, allow Russia to take over Ukraine. So I'm hoping that whatever is occurring right now will not lead to some Chinese miscalculation regarding Taiwan. Are you concerned over uh, Canada and the United States or NORAD's ability to uh, to accurately uh, survey uh, the Arctic and, and, and make sure that it's aware of what's coming and going? Or does what we've seen over the last few days prove that they are aware of what's going on up there? They clearly have certain capabilities, and uh, I would not put uh, Canada the same league as United States. You will notice yeah. that when the Prime Minister said that he had ordered uh, this uh, unidentified object to be shot down, it wasn't a Canadian aircraft. We have very limited capabilities. The Americans do have the capacity, and they're the ones who brought it down. In the Arctic itself, however, even the Americans lack certain capabilities to match the Russians, such as heavy icebreakers, and they need to step up because Russia is most definitely militarize the Arctic. But uh, at this point, we are yet to see if these uh, aerial intrusions are Chinese or Russian. We are you surprised? Was... Sorry, go ahead. We, we know that one was Chinese, but the right. other three, we, we're not sure. Are you surprised that the Prime Minister used the wording that he did and said that he ordered this down when, in fact, it was a U.S. plane that shot it down? Because he was soon asked by reporters why it wasn't a Canadian plane. Um, and then on the same hand, people are asking, well, gee whiz, it came all the way through Canada into Montana, and we didn't even know about it. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on using that kind of language, or is that to reassure us? I suppose it was meant to reassure us. It was also meant to and that will make the Canadian government look good. Uh, there have been very serious questions raised by many, including by me and uh, testimony before parliamentary committees, that we are not spending what is required on defense to be able to adequately protect our own uh, sovereignty. Uh, luckily, we have finally belatedly decided to buy modern aircraft, uh, the F-35 stealth fighters, we could have done that earlier. Those aircraft could have been operational by now. The British have it, for example. The Israelis have it. But we're not going to get it for quite a while because we delayed those decisions. And our overall defense spending is nowhere near the guidelines uh, that were agreed to uh, by NATO, the Wales meeting. And we should do that not in order to satisfy NATO goals, but in order to be able to protect our sovereignty and it is very vividly illustrated in this particular case that we had to rely on on United States. And uh, undoubtedly, when you have an alliance, there's nothing wrong with getting help from allies. But it's something else if you have to do that consistently and you just lack any credible capacity to protect your own sovereignty. Uh, I want to uh, I, I want to touch on Moldova before we let you go. Uh, their president saying that they're concerned over Russia. Are, is Moldova next after Ukraine? If Putin is successful in Ukraine, let's say if he would be able to take over Ukraine, which is not very likely, but uh, he certainly seems to still hold out hope. 
and there are signs of a massive new Russian offensive uh, brewing, uh, Moldova very likely would be next because they already control a strip of Moldova, Transnistria, where they have Russian troops and they have a little dictatorial clique that is in charge in, inside lower to Moscow. Uh, should we be concerned about this at this time? Absolutely, because uh, not only if they're able to do more in Moldova, weaken that government uh, and get a pro-Moscow government, they could use Moldova as a launching pad for some assault on Ukraine from the west, so they could do it from uh, the east and the north as well as the west, and from the south from Crimea. Uh, but also, it tells us something about the ultimate goal that Russia has, that Ukraine was not the last uh, ambition of Russian expansion, but was one along the road of continuous Russian expansionist uh, foreign policy. Ara Brown with us, Professor of International Relations and Senior Member of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto, talking about everything regarding Russian invasion of Ukraine to balloons and who they could belong to. Arl, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Thank you for having me on. Christian Leprec is with us, professor at both the Royal Military College of Canada, Queen's University, and fellow at the Macdonald-Laurier Institute, and author of the upcoming Polar Cousins, Arctic and Antarctic Geostrategic Futures. Christian with us now. Christian, thanks for the time. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, hope all is well. Uh, here we are. Uh, what is it? Eight days, four balloons. The first one, obviously the big one, 60,000 feet uh, through Alaska into the territories, B.C., Alberta, Saskatchewan, then in uh, off Mont uh, Montana and out to the Carolina coast where it's taken down. And then obviously since then, uh, Alaska, Yukon and then Lake Huron last night. But these ones smaller and we don't necessarily know their origins. Do we give us a bit of an update on what we know? Yeah, so we know that there's a variety of balloons of different sizes and shapes. And so that panoply in itself should be worrying because it suggests a malicious actor is likely attempting to probe North American air defenses. So they're trying to see not just what they can get through, they're trying to see what and when it is, ends up being detected, um, how it is being um, identified, and then um, how both militarily and politically North America responds. And so there's a lot to be learned from these balloons, even if uh, some of them don't carry um, a payload per se. Um, and then, of course, on balloons that have an espionage payload, you're now able to glean sensitive military intelligence and that intelligence is for the purpose of ensuring that our adversaries' missiles are calibrated so that they can penetrate our airspace and take out our command and control systems. So what is transpiring in front of us is fundamentally a game changer because continental defense had always been set up of, uh, with us understanding the capabilities and intents of our adversaries. And here we're clearly on our back foot. So the reason we're seeing or hearing more about this is they've torqued up the sensitivity from uh, for radar in order to detect more of these. And as, as a result, they are. 
Yeah, so, uh, but I think it's a whole lot more than that. Um, Clearly, there was other types of, I think, intelligence and assessments that were going on here. Uh, Likely also um, other intelligence funds that suggest learning more about the Chinese balloon program, perhaps some of the technology um, associated with that program, uh, and then adjusting your posture accordingly, because as with anything else in life, if you're not looking for it, chances are you're not going to find it. Um, so are we to assume, Christian, that we, and we know the first one, what it was all about, but less about the, the latter three. Are we to assume they're from China? It, it, can we can we say that even on assumption, considering where we are? So there's really only two actors that have motive to engage in this type of activity, and that's China and Russia. And the reason is relatively simple. So uh, Russia and China have uh, poor political leadership and totalitarian regimes. And so strategic balancing for them means they have to undermine their adversary. If you think of Russia, Ukraine, and Eastern Europe, if you think of China, Taiwan, and Japan. And so one way you undermine your adversary is through a hybrid and gray zone activities. And of course, these balloons are part of it because they're not overt military action. And yet they are a clear, uh, they remain under the threshold of uh, armed conflict, but they're a clear violation of the standard rules of behavior. They're a clear violation of sovereignty and so forth. But what our adversaries are also trying to demonstrate is that they have the capabilities effectively to threaten us. And that's a problem on the one hand for Canadian democracy, because it means that now, if in Washington or in Ottawa, a decision is taken that displeases China or Russia, um, this time it's a balloon, next time it might be a missile that might be flying over here. So our adversaries are signaling that they have the capability to threaten us. Um, And it is a problem insofar as once the continent is not secure, it diminishes the capacity for U.S. extended deterrence, because, of course, our allies in the Indo-Pacific and in Europe rely on a safe North American continent so that the U.S., if need be, can exercise uh, extended deterrence, including extended nuclear deterrence. And so that's why ultimately the safety of the continent isn't just a Canadian or U.S. problem. It is a significant allied and partner problem. And you heard this uh, when the president said early on that they were sharing intelligence with many allies. Uh, China's reaction is the U.S. doing the same things. They said there's been like 10 of them flown over there. Is that accurate or is that just more Chinese propaganda? Well, this is the problem, right? It's like with uh, totalitarian regimes, you never know where the kernel of truth might be. I mean, there's no doubt the U.S. has the largest intelligence apparatus in the world. um, And we know that the U.S. is on record as saying that China is the Uh, is the geostrategic challenge of the 21st century. So you can bet that a significant amount of U.S. intelligence resources are trained on China, and clearly the Chinese are displeased. But I think what these balloons also demonstrate, and that's where your question is very apt, Scott, a degree of vulnerability that is felt by both Russia and China. And I think it's no coincidence that these balloons started to show up within days of the U.S. announcing basing rights in the Philippines. And I think this was China reacting to if the U.S. moves into our neighborhood, not only are we going to move into America's neighborhood, we're going to take geostrategic competition right above the skies of North America. 
the prime minister up in the Yukon today and uh, at a news conference there, he was asked why this wasn't taken down by a, a Canadian military plane, especially when he got up and said that he ordered this because I guess it was a joint decision and such. Why not a Canadian jet then? Well, <laughs> again, a very good question there. Uh, look, Anita Anand, uh, the Minister of Defense, went on record as saying that the government's eyes are wide open on China. But of course, it turns out we didn't even have any eyes that could detect uh, these items. And then we didn't have any eyes that could uh, effectively identify them. Um, look, the U.S. had to send up its most sophisticated fighter jet, um, the F-22 Raptor, uh, to identify and intercept uh, this object. Uh, so here we are clearly in a position where Canadian resources are inadequate or at least suboptimal uh, for uh, the ability to uh, interdict uh, the type of technology that our adversaries are sending our way. It's not to say that a CF-18 could not have done the job, uh, but clearly the Americans would have uh, sent um, a lower uh, caliber jet if uh, it uh, if this if 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 this would have been uh, an effective way to respond. Christian Leprec with us, professor at the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute. Christian, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. You bet. It's a real pleasure, Scott. Have a great afternoon. This is Hamilton today with Scott Thompson. I made the decision to shoot down the object. What? What? What do you say? Hamilton's news. Today's talk. Nine hundred CHML. Uh, I made the decision to shoot down the object. So then a reporter asked, was it a Canadian Air Force plane that shot down that object? Oh, no, no, no. It was a U.S. F-22. Does the prime minister make the decision to order the U.S. to shoot? No, that's up to President Joe Biden. Now, did they consult him, tell him what was going on? Oh, absolutely they did. You don't shoot something out of the neighbor's sky without telling him. But for the prime minister to stand up and say, I ordered it shot down. I think that's a, that's overspeaking a little bit, especially considering we're celebrating the year anniversary of a, um, a truck convoy that came to town that sent him running and hiding into the hills, leaving it to the soft round shoulders of the mayor and the soft round shoulders of the police uh, chief to, to solve the problem. I don't know when you can't get this under control. I'm not sure you got a grasp on what's going on in the uh, sky, uh, unless you got a real powerful pea shooter. All right, let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. He is coming up after the six o'clock news. He is with us now. Scott, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am. I. I it's probably a very good thing that this balloon or whatever it is didn't have a horn that honked, or this would have really <laughs> thrown the federal government into a into a tizzy. They would not have known what to do if there was a honk. Horn. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, my goodness. The balloon, it's honking. Everybody's run inside. Uh, yeah. That's a very valid point. It is embarrassing, yeah. though, Scott. It really is. Not, and this has nothing to do with the current government. It is really embarrassing, I think, that we have a military incapable of shooting down a balloon. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that, well, that, we've that already is, sent our tank to the Ukraine. The one tank went. So well, the it's one that like, works, the one that yeah, works, exactly. the rest are up on blocks somewhere getting worked on. It, it's honestly like th we don't expect that we are going to be under aerial assault anytime soon. At least I don't think we are. Nonetheless, even with your previous guest saying, you know, maybe one of these times it might be missiles coming over. We yeah. are by the looks of it, by if this is any indication we are, as a military force, 
entirely useless. And to, to yeah. coin a phrase that I think my son used once upon a time, we are about as impactful as a fart in a hurricane. We are <laughs> nothing. We, we, we can't shoot down a balloon. Scott, I can't think of But we of a- can save the planet. We're saving the planet. Hey, let everybody else work on uh, the bad guys. We're saving the planet as a whole. That's what our shouldn't, objective is. Shouldn't we have done some tests first to find out what was in the balloon to make sure that it wasn't filled with some sort of gases that could have affected the environment? Uh, you know, there's only one thing that Justin Trudeau hates talking about more than the economy, and that would be the military. I do not think he's in his wheelhouse at this point. Uh, and it's not entirely – look, we joke about it. It's not entirely his fault. This has been an ongoing thing for years, for generations now, letting our military fall into disrepute. And I I, I have family who my, – my dad went to Royal Military College. I have brothers-in-law who are in the military. Um, I, I – I'm not a military guy myself, but at the same time, I think it's outrageous what we have done to or not done to our military that has put us in this position where something as honestly, seemingly, well, militaristically, is that a word? Benign as a balloon. We don't know what was going on with it, but military, the balloon was not firing upon us or something. We could Mm. not deal with this ourselves. apparently. Scott, that is an indictment of the highest order. Well, we didn't even know. I mean, you're talking about the one now over Lake Huron, which is the latest one to get shut down, but the initial one, I mean, it went over the territories, BC, Alberta, and Saskatchewan, then into my, uh, into Montana, and we didn't even hear about it till it, no. till it was over the U.S. Well, now, and, and you know what? Yesterday in the halftime show, when they had all those people, those in the hazmat suits or the Stay puffed people mm. or whatever, if if Russia or China sent an army of people running like that with their arms out in giant fluffy white suits across the border, <laughs> we probably with our tank couldn't protect our border. <laughs> it's just it. You, you look at this stuff and you go, "What is wrong that yeah. we have allowed this to happen?" That we are a country that seemingly would be unable to even somewhat defend our borders. And that is not, I want to stress this, that is not an indictment of the men and women in the military. That's no, not no, about no, them no, 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 whatsoever. No. That is about the equipment that, and the infrastructure they've been given to work with. It's outrageous. Uh, too busy saving the planet to save the world, I guess, is what we are. All right, a minute left. I can't let you go without, uh, and now, should we talk about the game or do we talk about the mayor of Toronto? You pick. Uh, uh, you know what? The, uh, let's talk about the game only because a minute isn't nearly long enough for the other one. <laughs> it was very exciting. You got to admit. It was, and I feel badly because I'm I'm guessing that uh, that our friend Ron Foxcroft might be listening, and we know that he is a, a an avid defender of the officials. And I for for 59 minutes, the officials did a magnificent job in that game. Hmm. And then at the end, it's like one of the guys decided, we haven't done anything yet to get people talking. And I know that's not what, but it was like that one call, 
I'm not saying it was even a wrong call. It was just out of line with all the other stuff that had gone on in an otherwise magnificently officiated game. And what are we talking about then the next day? Not the great game, not anything else. It's about what the heck was going on with that call that kind of everyone, if you go online, says screwed up the game or even, and this is something that's been there before, Scott, there is a hashtag that pops up again and again and again with the NFL hashtag rigged. And I don't believe the NFL is rigged, but if you have a number of people large enough to make it a trend every single week, you probably want to do something to address your officiating. If your officiating is causing people to believe that your game is rigged, even though it isn't, that's a problem. That's a problem. Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator coming up after the 6 o'clock news. As always, Scott, thanks for the time. Have a great show. You too. Watch out for balloons. Uh, you too. Get that. Keep that pea shooter happy or uh, close by. You never know. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word. Hey, Scott, I want to leave a little conspiracy with you for the last word. I think all these balloons are actually coming from Ottawa. They're filled with the politician's hot air.